Let me just challenge you that I just sense that many of you are in a battle this morning, but the word I would have for you is just a word of caution. Because we can battle for years and years and years. And what we can figure out is we're the one battling in our strength. Especially when we deal with control or maybe we're someone who likes to have our fingers in everything. It's hard for us to find that way that we stop battling the problem and start battling spiritually. Where we're going to the Lord, we're battling in prayer, we're battling in the word rather than battling the situation in our family, the situation with our finances. Because we have to make a commitment. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when we make that commitment every time, when we make that commitment that the battle belongs to the Lord, then he rushes in to fight for us. And the beautiful thing is he's the one that gets the glory and credit when the victory comes. So I ask you to be seated. Let's go to the Word of God together. We are continuing our last week in our discussion on a hope and a future. This is how we started uh, 2021. This is the theme that as elders and leadership, we have prayed over for 2021. Just this idea that God has a hope and a future for each one of us. Each one of us who are followers of Christ. God has a hope and a future for you, and it is hope and a future that is not tied to your circumstances. It's a hope and a future that can come to you in the midst of your circumstances. So we cannot judge what God is doing by what things look like right now around us. We have to embrace this idea that the Lord is working in ways that our circumstances may not reveal at this point, but we can have a hope and a future apart from what we're feeling and facing right now. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah 29, where the people of Judah have been, cap- have been captured and carried off to a foreign nation by their mortal enemies, and they had seen uh, the beginnings of their nation being destroyed. They had been separated from their friends and family. They could no longer worship in the temple like they wanted to. Now, they're wondering, has God abandoned us forever? They're wondering, what are we going to do here in Babylon? Do we just curl up and die, or is there something else for us? And the prophet Jeremiah, all the way back in Jerusalem, who did not follow those exiles into captivity, writes this letter containing the word of the Lord, the letter in Jeremiah 29 that we still have. And that letter to them was very simple. I want you to settle down where you are. I want you to seek me in that place. I want you to seek to bless that place because if that place becomes blessed, then you're going to be blessed. And in that place, while everything around you seems to be falling apart, I have a plan for you. You know this, Jeremiah 29, 11. I have a plan for you. It is a plan to prosper you and what? Not to harm you. So what you're facing right now is not to harm you. It is to give you two things, a hope and a future. And what he says is you'll come to me and you'll pray to me and you'll seek my face and you'll find me, which we agree together. That is the greatest hope we would ever have, is that God would meet us right where we are. And the greatest future we can have is living in the fullness of who he is, walking in what he has for us, and living under the fear of the Lord. That's the greatest hope and future we can have. But beyond that, I believe the Lord wants to work in our physical circumstances too. But that's not the highest priority. The highest priority is trusting Him in faith and walking with Him in obedience. So over the course of this month, what we've asked you to do is to join us as your leadership 
in seeking the Lord together. We want to understand what is the Lord doing around us in this community? What's he doing on the corner of Pine Needles and Old Ebenezer Road? What's he doing right now in 2021? Not what he was doing in 1990. Not what he was doing in 1890. What is he doing right now? Why is he called this group of people sitting in these pews this morning here for this season? What does he have for us together to do? It's not about his plan for Trinity. It's about his plan. And it's about Trinity getting on board with that. And we have to discern that together, but that's going to take some time. So we've asked you, as our elders have begun to pray and our vision team has begun to pray, we're asking you to pray and to fast with us until the 14th of February so that we can listen to the Lord's heart and mind in a more clear and vibrant way together. Now, last week, uh, our, our vision team began to meet with many of you who are representatives of our different ministries, and we began to hear what the Lord has been speaking to you and how He's been working in your life and what you see He might be doing here. We'll continue that today. Please be in prayer. This afternoon, we'll have another six groups that will be meeting with those teams and hearing what the Lord's been laying on their hearts about what God is doing here at Trinity as well. Keep praying along those lines. So last week what we did is we began to talk about why we fast. What's the purpose of fasting? And if you remember, we went all the way back to Jesus in the garden. Do you remember that? Where the night before the crucifixion, Jesus is praying and he goes to his father and Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen in just a few hours. He knows he's going to face the most brutal death possible. And on top of all the pain physically he would suffer, he knew that he was going to bear the sins of you and me on that cross, which was the worst part of the crucifixion. He knew it was coming. So he gathered his closest friends. And then out of those, he took those three. Remember, Peter, James, and John. He takes them with him. And he says, listen, you stay here while I go over and I pray. And when he goes to pray, remember what he asked the Father? He says, listen, Father, if there's anything you can do, if there's any other way to get your plan done other than me suffering the things I'm about to suffer, Lord, I'm asking you to do that. But then he ends it with this statement, but not my will, not my plan. Your will be done. If this is what I have to go through, this is the only way, this is what's going to bring you glory, this is what's going to bring salvation to your people, then I am in on that. And then he comes back, and what does he find? He finds his friends asleep. Because they're tired, they're emotional, all those things have happened, they've fallen asleep. He goes back again, he prays again, the same thing, and then he prays the same way. If there's anything you can do, but I want your will to be done, he comes back a third time. And then he says this, Matthew 26, 41, he wakes them up, and then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then he gives us an insight. He says, the body is weak. But the Spirit is willing. Remember that? And though Jesus was not setting up this long teaching on how we as a threefold person work and how that operates, he really gives us some amazing insight into the fact that your physical body is very weak. At different times, it feels more weak than other times. As you progress into your life, perhaps it feels even more weak than it did when you were younger in your life. But your body, at different times, no matter how it's in fit and in shape you are, your body is weak. You know what's not weak? Your spirit is not weak. Your spirit's not weak. 
Because when we were born into this world, God creates this spirit within us. Unfortunately, we're born into sin. We're dead in our sin. But when the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates our heart, our spirit is made alive again. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit comes and becomes one with our spirit. So our spirit now wants what the Holy Spirit wants. Our Holy Spirit wants, I mean, our spirit wants the will of God like the Holy Spirit does. And our spirit has access to all the power of God that's available in the Holy Spirit, which is amazing that we can live our lives that way. So here's my question. Why don't we live our lives that way? You know why? Because your body's weak, just like my body. My body is filled with all kinds of desires that this world throws at you. All kinds of pleasures and wants. And I get to make a choice every day and all day long. I get to make a choice with my heart and my mind and my will. Am I going to allow the Holy Spirit of God living in me to live his life through me? Or am I going to make sure that my body gets everything that it wants? And if I let my body to rule, this is what Scripture says. It says I'm a carnal person. I'm a worldly person. I allow my body to be in charge. But when I tell my body, no, you're not going to be in charge, the Holy Spirit is going to live his life through me, then I'm what Scripture calls a spiritual man, a spiritual person. And that is what we are called to, the Holy Spirit living his life in this world through your life. That's the call of God. Now, what's amazing is one of the things that allows us for that to happen more easily is when we suffer, which is absolutely the opposite of everything our culture would tell us. Our culture is built on avoiding suffering, which is why we have a medication to cover every pain, which is why now we can get telehealth doctors. We, can, we actually have, we can have people come into our home through our phone and, and help us with any pain that we feel. We have food that will kind of numb things for us so we can enjoy this really great meal and stop thinking about things that are bothering us physically, mentally, emotionally. We medicate ourselves with food. We watch sports. We listen to music. We want to do everything we can to avoid suffering. I had this conversation with a friend of mine not too long ago, and he told me that before the Lord really got a hold of his life, you know, he lived for the weekend. He would live for getting off of work at 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon, and he hated his job so much. Much from Monday morning at 8 o'clock till Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock. He just couldn't wait till the weekend where he could do whatever he wanted to to kind of numb that pain. But he would start to feel that anxiety kind of creep up on Sunday afternoon. Like somewhere around like 3 or 4 or 5 in the afternoon. He could start to feel that creeping back in because he knew tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock he was going to do it all over again. And so his weekend was filled up with just numbing the pain of the five days between. That's not living. That's just existing. But when we suffer, we begin to tell our bodies no, and we begin to lean on the Spirit of God within us, just like Jesus suffered in that garden, and he would suffer on the cross, and he was willing to say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And what we said last week is, We have to be careful. We're not people who go looking for suffering. Don't do that, okay? We don't go looking for suffering. When suffering comes, we embrace it in the Lord. We don't go looking for trouble, but one of the ways that we can bring suffering into our life in a healthy way is we can choose to fast. By denying ourselves physically and denying ourselves mentally 
it invites that time where we can say to our body, you are not going to get what you want in this circumstance. God needs to get what he wants. And so last week, we took time to look at that, specifically physically fasting. And this is what we said. We said that physically fasting prepares us. It prepares us for where times of suffering are going to come. Because when they come, and for nine times out of ten, 90% of us, they are coming. They're coming. When they come, having chosen to embrace suffering on our own, we are ready when suffering comes. And we're able to trust the Spirit of God in those moments because we have practiced that. We also talked about how it is participation, that when we fast, what we're doing is closing ourselves off to the things of the world so that we can then feast on the things of the Spirit. We gorge ourselves in prayer and in worship and in reading the Word of God. We feast on the things of the world as, or on the things of the Lord as we fast off of the things of the world. It is participation in what God is doing. And the more I participate with Him, the more I hear His voice, the more I understand His will, the more likely I am going to be to be used in building His kingdom all around me. So fasting prepares us for that. We're going to build on that a little bit today. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 because Peter is going to challenge these young believers to embrace suffering and everything that comes with it. If you've been following on Wednesday nights, we've been in 1 Peter. We've already finished chapter 1. We're about to start chapter 2 this week. Uh, that's been a good resource for you. We're going to keep doing that all the way through the pandemic. There's lots of folks that are still not able to get out, even though we're meeting now on Wednesday nights again. And if you've been following along with us, here's what you know about First Peter. Of course, it's written by the Apostle Peter. But Peter wrote this to some young communities of faith that were scattered all around what we call modern-day Turkey. And we don't know exactly who planted all these churches. We know that Paul planted some of them, but some other believers probably came in and planted some of the others, and Peter himself may have planted a few of them. But this is what we knew. They knew Peter, whether he planted them or not. They knew who Peter was. And he has this spiritual authority in these communities. So a letter from Peter was big time. They took that letter. They read it. They passed it around to other churches. Then they took it back. They made copies which is one of the reasons the Holy Spirit allowed it to end up in our hands 2,000 years later, because the church has treasured this letter so much. And if you've been following on Wednesday nights, this is the, the big theme we've been pulling out of 1 Peter so far, is that Peter calls us to a life of contrast. As followers of Christ, your life should look different than someone who does not know Jesus. The way you spend your money should be different. The way you raise your family should be different. The way you interact with people in your workplace, the way you interact on your sports team, the way that you study and the way you take your test in your classroom, those things should look different than people of the world. And when we do that, when we live out the things of God and that contrast is there, it sets aside the glory of the gospel and people see the gospel and Jesus for who he really is. But when we don't draw a contrast, then people just think Jesus is just like you and me. And that being a believer is just like someone in the world. And there's no real power added to the gospel because people don't see a life change. As we get to chapter 4, one of the contrasts that he's going to challenge us on is how do we suffer? We don't suffer the same way people in the world suffer. So I want us to go all the way down to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want this to show us just three 
benefits and blessings that come into our life when suffering comes into our life and when we embrace it. So we're going to read along, and then, of course, you've got some notes there in front of you on your bulletin. I encourage you to write those things down because we want you to spend time with the Lord this week and let Him reveal the truth of these things to you. Get to test everything I said this morning and take it to the Lord. So 1 Peter chapter 4, this is what Peter says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. You get that command? This is how Christ lived in the world. He chose to suffer at different times. And then he says, listen, you're his followers. You need to arm yourself with the same attitude, meaning prepare your heart, your mind, your actions with the same attitude that Christ has, which was to embrace suffering and not to run away from it and hide. Arm yourself with that. And then I love this statement. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I encourage you to take your pen and just underline the second part of that verse. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Can we be honest with ourselves? There are many of us as believers in Jesus Christ that there are a few habits that have been a part of your life for a long, long time. And you hate them, you know they don't honor God, but you just can't seem to break out of that pattern. I mean, you'll have stretches in your life where you seem to have those things under control, but you fall right back into it again, and you're saying things like this, I just don't think I'll ever be done with whatever sin that is, and we forget the God that we serve, and we forget the power that is available to us, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power that gave blind men their sight back, the power that opened deaf people's ears, the the power that multiplied bread into enough to feed thousands of people, the power that was able to speak into storms and say, be still, and it was. And wind got quiet. And people were delivered. The, the power that, that saw walls fall down, that saw the mouths of lions be shut, we forget that that power, that same power that was at work in Jesus and at work in men and women of God all throughout Scripture is available to us, but yet we believe I can't ever be free from that. And it just crushes the heart of God because God's goal for you is not to muddle on. God's goal for you is life and freedom. It's freedom. It's freedom. It's not bondage. It's not just getting by. It's going forward. It's what God's power and his heart is for us. So how do we see those things broken? Listen to what it says here. Those who suffer in their body are done with sin. Why does suffering help us in our battle against sin? Because suffering is a means by which your body does not get what it wants. The reason you suffer is your body doesn't get what it wants. It can't eat what it wants. It can't get the sleep it wants. It can't be free from pain like it wants. That's why we call it suffering. And when we suffer, it is training your body. You can do without. You can do without. And when we fast, we are training our body. Get used to suffering. Because I want what the Lord wants. 
Get used to feeling hungry because I want what the Lord wants. Get used to not getting to watch what you want to watch because I want to focus on what the Lord wants to do. Get used to waking up an hour earlier because I'd rather spend time in the Word of God than my head on your pillow. Get used to it because suffering allows us to be done with sin. And when our body is taught to say no to its desires, then it's easier to say no to sin and yes to the Spirit. It's not going to make us perfect. It's not a magic formula. But sometimes we battle with sin because we build our body up so much in its desires. It's, an, it's, it's just a lost battle. It's a lost battle. But when we feed our spirit, then the battle belongs to the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 2 here. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Listen to the contrast here. You used to live like this, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. That's the goal. Are, are you with me? The goal is people in your radius should be surprised that you do not embrace the things that are normal for the world to embrace. They should be shocked that you won't cheat on your calculus test just like everybody else in the class did, and that you're willing to take a D, but you did it in integrity. They're shocked at that. And here's what's going to happen. Look at that. Tag, tag it on. And they heap abuse on you. Just understand what's going to happen. When you draw a contrast, it is going to be convicting to people around you. And abuse is going to come your way, especially from the world. It's going to happen. Verse 5. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The first blessing that comes with embracing suffering. Those who suffer in the body find victory over sin. Those who suffer in the body find victory over sin. When we get in that regular habit of exposing our body to healthy suffering, especially through self-denial and fasting, here's what we say. You're not going to control me. The Spirit is. The Spirit is. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Pick your pen. I want you to underline just the first part of that. The end of all things is near. Therefore, meaning what I'm about to say, I'm commanding you in light of the fact that the end of all things is near. Okay, listen to what Peter's about to say. Since the end of all things is near, be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. Now, the early church really had this amazing advantage over us, I think, in a lot of ways. But here's one of the ways. The very first believers in Christ, these, these disciples that were following Jesus around, they, they meet with him after the resurrection. He's on earth for 40 days. You can read that in the book of Acts chapter 1. He's physically with them for 40 days. At the end of that 40 days, you remember what he does? 
like they're standing there talking, and then all of a sudden, he starts floating up into heaven. We call that the ascension. He ascends into heaven, and it says a cloud came and hid Jesus after a while. And all of his followers are standing there just watching from that point on until an angel appears beside them. I don't know when that, what that was like, but the angel's like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, Jesus just ascended into heaven. And the angel says, in the same way, he's going to come back, but now you need to go get to work. You need to go do things. He, he's going to be coming back. Why do you have to tell them that? Because they literally thought Jesus was going up and he was coming right down. I mean, they thought he was coming back then. And do you know what they thought the next day? They got up that morning and they thought Jesus was coming back that morning. And three weeks later, guess what they thought? They thought Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And you know how they lived? They lived like Jesus was coming back today. So when they preached the gospel, they preached it with passion. When they loved people, they went after people hard. When they ministered, they were willing to suffer. They paid any price. Why? Because they thought Jesus was coming back. They thought time was short. They thought we got to get this work done. And you know where we are? We're 2,000 years later. And you know what we forgot? Jesus could come back tomorrow. And this is what we say. Peter wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. He was wrong. The end of all things is near. No, he's not wrong. And here's how I know that. Because in the scheme of eternity, of what's going on, from the back to the forward in eternity, 2,000 years is nothing. It's nothing. 2,000 years is a drop in a bucket. And if you don't look around and have any idea across your mind that we might be in the last little throes of things, I'm wondering. I mean, sometimes I wake up and I say, Jesus, mate, you're probably coming back today. That just happened. I mean, this, things are, man, it's tumbling right now. And I know, I know we've been through harder times. I know there's times that were far more devastating from a cultural standpoint than what we're facing now. But these are hard times, and it should awaken us to this, that when Jesus is ready, he's going to come back, and he's going to put his foot in Florence, South Carolina. He's going to stand right here in Florence, South Carolina. And when he does, he's going to say, time out, it's over. It's over. But when he says, it's over, time out, He's going to start dividing up teams. And one team is going to be filled with those who know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And the other team, which is going to be much larger, unfortunately, is going to be filled with people who ever never heard the gospel or never responded to the gospel. And we don't live in light of that reality. I mean, Peter said, the end of all things is near. May the Holy Spirit reawaken our hearts today. The end of all things is near. It's near. We need to live in reality of that. So this is what he says. Because it's near. Because it's near. Be clear-minded, sober-minded, and alert. Sober-minded and alert so that we can do what? Anyone? So we can do what? So that we can pray. Because the end of all things is near. We need to be able to pray. What does prayer does? Well, the first thing it does is it keeps you and me connected with God above all things. It allows his love to be poured into us. It allows us to give our love back to him in worship. 
It allows us to pour his, him to pour his revelation into our hearts so we understand how we can honor him. And then it gives us empowerment to actually go and do what he tells us to do. Prayer is critical. We need prayer. You need prayer as an individual more than you've ever needed it in your life. You need it. And if we're going to pray, we have to be sober-minded and alert. And here's what happens. Our mind just gets so clouded. So when we challenged you to fast a couple weeks ago, I asked you to fast in two ways every week, two ways. The first, a fast in which you deny yourself physically. You tell your body no in some way every week physically. But the second fast we asked of you is to deny yourself mentally, to take something that may not necessarily be a bad thing, but still serves when we put it out of proportion to cloud our mind and block our spiritual ears. To choose to say, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to uh, binge on the latest show on Amazon. I'm not going to just keep reading the books I always read. I'm going to take time off. And when I do that, when my mind is clear, we fill up that time by feasting on the things of God. We pray. We seek his face. We get into the word. That's a second kind of fast that we're calling you to. Why would we call you to fast that way? Because that kind of fast allows you to be alert and sober-minded. When you see something happen on the news, I don't want it to fill us with fear. I want it to call us to action. I want us to see it and become alert to what God is doing and what we know the enemy's doing. And then I want us to be sober-minded, meaning we're not going to be overwhelmed in our mind by anything except the Holy Spirit. We're going to be clear-minded. We're going to be thoughtful. We're going to think about what we say, think about what we do, and act in obedience. Then we act. We don't react. We act. And we never know how to act until we're sober-minded and we're alert. Now, you type A's. I'm going to go ahead and give you number two, and then I'm going to tell you there's a mistake in your bulletin, and I'm going to help you fix it, because I know that's going to mess with you all day if I don't do that. Number two, given the times we live in, being alert and sober-minded allows us to pray. Now, instead of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, it's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. So all you have to do is flip one page, but please correct that, okay? So when you go back this afternoon and study this, you'll be of peace of mind. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Peter is going to move on to a few things, which I encourage you to read all of it in your time. But I want you to see what he circles back to. Last command from 1 Peter 4, chapter 7 was, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. Now look at chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. We're circling back, right? You think this is important to Peter? Very important to Peter. Be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there is another reason why we should be alert and sober minded. It protects us from the enemy's attack. Being alert and sober minded protects us from the enemy's attack. Peter did not say, Our enemy is weak. 
He did not say he's a kitty cat. You don't have to worry about him. That's not what he said. He said that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Which means he's not only strong, not only is he at work, but he's looking for someone to destroy. That's his game. He's out to destroy us. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, the enemy comes, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy He's not your buddy. He's not even just a jerk. He has malicious intent towards you and your family. Towards you and your church. He's out to destroy you. You know how many churches have been destroyed in this pandemic? Do you know how many ministries have been destroyed in the last year? He's out for us. And what Peter says is, the way to protect ourselves is to be Alert and of sound mind, sober-minded, right? I was watching one of these animal shows, and I can't remember if I saw it on television or if I saw it one of those little clips on Facebook. Either one is, is, is likely. There was these two gazelles in Africa, and they have this wide, panned-out view of the Serengeti behind them. And they're, uh, they're doing their gazelle thing where, like, they come, then they buck, you know what I'm saying, then they hook their horns, and they pull back, and then they buck, and they hook their horns, and they pull back. But what you're looking at is, in the camera, you're looking at these two gazelles hitting each other like this, and backing up and doing all that stuff. But what you see over the gazelles that they don't see is that there's this lion that is running straight at the camera. Now, gazelles are pretty alert to those things, which is why they stay in packs, and why they, they're always keeping their, all the, their, their ears up. They're always looking for that stuff. And they had no idea this lion was coming. But I'm watching it and I'm like, lion! Joe, there's a lion! And then they're bucking and they're pulling, they're pulling their horns, they're bucking. And, and the next thing you know, they look and their ear goes up right about the time that that lion pounces on the one on the right and pins him to the ground. Now, one got away, but one didn't. And you know why? They were so focused on each other that it did not allow them to be focused on the enemy. And lions, listen, lions don't waste their time if they can't attack an enemy who's unaware. They don't waste their time. They stalk, they hide, they're patient, they wait, they wait till there's a distraction, and when there's a distraction, they go after it. I'm sure you've seen these shows. You've probably seen plenty of times where the herd, the whole herd gets away, right? Because someone, horns go up, everybody's horns go up, they all go, they're out of there. But you've also seen the times it doesn't work out, right? You've seen the times it doesn't work out. If we don't learn how to be sober-minded and alert, it's going to be us. It's going to be us. It's going to be your wife. It's going to be your kids. It's going to be your business. It's going to be your school. And I'm not trying to make you afraid, but I'm trying to teach you respect. Our enemy is a beaten foe, but he's not powerless. Our God is far superior to the enemy in every way, but if we let our guard down, all bets are off. 
All bets are off. So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Would you please join us in prayer and fasting for another week? We're going to conclude this next weekend on Valentine's Day. Continue to pray for us because here's what we want. Here's what we want from you. We, as a community, we want to be telling our flesh no so that we can tell our spirit yes. We want to fast off the things of the world so that we can feast on the things of the spirit. And I believe as we, as a community, do that, It'll be easier for us as your leadership to do that. And as us, as our leadership does that, it'll be easier for us to see what God's doing and for us to lead you in that direction. That's where we want to be, right? The sweet spot. We want to be right in the middle of what God is doing. He's always doing something new. So we have to pay attention to what he's doing now. Now. Our praise team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a final song. This is a chance for us to worship and to respond to what we've heard. Maybe this is a time where you need to sit right there in the pew, and you need to make a commitment. Here is how I'm going to fast physically this week. Here's how I'm going to fast mentally this week. Make that commitment before you leave here. Don't make the commitment and try, or don't leave here, and then try to make the commitment Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, and then try to decide whether or not you're going to turn off that show. Make the commitment now. This is the night. This is the lunch. This is the way that I'm going to deny myself so that I can be in tune with the Lord this week. Let's stand together and let's respond to the Lord. Mm-hmm.